0: I'm Jared Fox. I'm the high school pastor here. I want to start today by just uh, extending a special welcome to those of you, maybe this is your first time with us. Uh, Maybe you came to a Christmas Eve service and this is your first time back, Uh, or maybe the whole New Year's piece has got you uh, interested and kind of figuring out what church might be about. I just want to say how glad we are that you're here. Um, This is the place that you're supposed to be. Regardless of the reason you're here, I think God has something uh, to teach us today. So I'm excited for that. Um, big news. We made it to 2016, right? Isn't that exciting? You all made it. And I, I feel like since we're in 2016, we should start by, uh, the exchange of, uh, of the words, happy new year, right? And that, that's something you do at, uh, this time of year. And so, uh, full participation. Okay. I want to hear it. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say the words to you and then, you know, you're gonna them back. It's the pro- proper, appropriate, nice way to do this sort of thing. So you ready. Here we go. Happy new year. That's pretty good. Um, usually in student ministries, we, it takes a couple of times to get it perfected. Okay, so we're going to try it again. I really want to hear it. Happy New Year. Happy New year. Yeah, that was, that was good. You guys are impressive. There's something so good about the first of the year, right? It feels good. We come to this place where it kind of feels like we have a fresh start, a clean slate. You can breathe again. It's like everything is starting over new. If you have an iPhone, you, know, you zoom out, and 2016 is at the top, and you've got a whole year of calendar underneath of it. Or for the five of you who have one of those old paper calendars that goes on your desk, you know, the, the old one with the coffee stains and the crumbled up edges goes in the trash, and the new, clean, fresh one comes out. It's like starting all over again. There's something that feels so good about this time of year, and I think that's, that's the reason we make resolutions, Right. I mean, there's something about this time of year that leads us to that place of saying, well, how can I start fresh? How can I start over? So a little gut check moment here. OK, um, raise your hand if this applies to you. Uh, don't don't be embarrassed. Don't be shameful. OK, it's OK. We've all been there. But I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and we're going we're to interact here. The first question is, how many of you ever in your life have made any sort of New Year's resolution? Raise those hands. All right. Most of us. Most. of. OK, so here's the second question. All right. How many of you have made more than one in one year? So multiples in one year at some point in your life, right? A few, a few less, but still a lot of us. Okay, you re- this is the big one. You ready? All right, how many of you at any point in your life, in your New Year's resolutions, have failed to complete it? You know, you feel like you failed or maybe you've given up. Let's see it. Not me, not me, All right. <laughs> All right, most of us, almost every hand went up. Actually, I just read a minute ago that less than 8% of people accomplish their New Year's resolution. Less than 8%. New Year's resolutions are tough. Most of us make them. We often find ourselves in a place where we're setting some goal, trying to attain something, make ourselves better. But you know what I've noticed, as I, as I kind of studied this past couple weeks, been thinking a lot about New Year's resolutions. Uh... Most of them, not all of them, but most of our New Year's resolutions are inward focus. They're focused on what we want, not what God wants, right? There's this this trend that we start to see with New Year's resolutions. Just to prove it, I decided I'd go to Google and ask, You know, what are the, what are the most popular New Year's resolutions? Can you guys guess what the first one was? Lose weight, right? Diet. The second one was get organized, spend less, pay off debt. This next one, this is the lazy man's resolution. I can get behind this one, okay? Enjoy life. Like, come on. Really? That's my resolution. I'm going to enjoy life. Learn something exciting. Quit smoking. Fall in love. Like, you can't force that, right? I can't be, a, by, by, December, by December, I'm going to be in love. I know. You know, you just, you can't, you can't make that claim. Now, this list, it's not necessarily a bad list. As a matter of fact, most of the things on this list are good, things I, I myself would like to do. However, what I notice, the list is very inward focused. New Year's resolutions, most of the time, they're focused on us. And there's so many that we get distracted trying to figure out which one we might choose. And, you know, instead of landing on one, we end up picking multiples or we pick audacious goals that we don't really even think we can get to or goals that are about focusing on overcoming our past more than they are looking into the future. Life is busy. There's a lot of things we'd like to change, right? There's a lot of things that we look forward to. And and it becomes overwhelming. And what what I've started to realize, I think... The idea of resolutions, it actually distracts us from what matters the most. It's a distraction. See, in Luke 10, we see this moment where Jesus is traveling from town to town, and he comes to this town where there's this Lady Mary and Martha, right? They're sisters, and they invite Jesus to come to their house. And so Jesus decides he's going to go there, and what do you do when you are going to have a house guest, right? Especially an unexpected house guest, right? You hurry home, and, and you shove all the toys under the couch, and you vacuum, and you mop, and you, you try to get the house somewhat clean and orderly, and then you offer a meal, right? It's custom. Customary. It's what you do. You, you help people out. You offer them a meal when they come to your home. So we see Jesus comes to their home, and, and Martha's in the kitchen cooking. And you kind of see the, the set here. Martha's in there mashing potatoes, working hard to get this dinner set. And then her sister Mary, she's in the other room, just sitting there next to Jesus, listening to what he has to say. And Martha kind of starts to get frustrated, right? She, she's annoyed that she's doing all of the work. She's, she's cleaned the house. She's got everything ready. And now she's preparing this big meal for Jesus and his friends. And she's doing it all by herself. And she's annoyed. I mean, you guys have probably been in this situation. I, for me, one of the things I like to do least is the dishes, right? Anybody with me? Who doesn't like doing dishes? Right, a lot of us. One of the things I like to do least is the dishes. When I have to do them by myself, I get annoyed. Especially when I've done them multiple days in a row. And so what I do is, like, uh, I, instead of just um, gently placing the silverware from the dishwasher into the drawer, I, like, throw it in, right? Make it kind of clang around so that maybe my wife in the next room will hear that I'm doing this. And she does the same thing, okay? And instead of taking the pot and just gently placing it in the, in, in the dishwasher instead. You, like, you, you, know, you kind of shake it as you put it in there, so it makes a bunch of cling. You know? like, Martha's getting annoyed. She's frustrated. She's doing all this work all by herself, and she decides, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. And we read this in Luke 10. It says, Martha's sister Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. She's annoyed. She decided to start rattling the pots, you know, like go and do something about it. And she goes to Jesus. I mean, some boldness here, right? goes over to Jesus. says, tell her to come help me. And Jesus' response is amazing. It says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken from her. Jesus is telling Martha, you're too distracted by what you think is right. You're too focused on what you want to do while Mary has chosen the thing that's best, that matters most, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary chose the thing that lasts forever. She decided to stop and soak it in and to focus her moment on Jesus. So Martha, just stop. You're complaining. That's enough. There's something more important. Don't be distracted by what you think you should be doing. But instead, focus on me. The God of the universe is sitting here in your living room. And you're worried about the the meal. I lived in Vegas for a little while, early in my ministry career. I worked at a church there with my brother, uh, it, it, Vegas is an interesting town. It's kind of a crazy place. If you've ever been, you know that. It's, it really is. That city never, ever sleeps. If you want chicken wings at 7 a.m., guess what? You're getting chicken wings at 7 a.m. It was one of my favorite parts about living there. You know, your chicken wings were always... Everything was all the time, always going on. There was distractions. There was stuff everywhere. But here's the thing about locals who live in Vegas. A couple things. One, they never, ever go to the Strip. Two, unless family or friends or somebody's in town, right? You don't want to deal with all that's going on downtown. Unless you work there or you have family and friends in town, you don't really go down to Las Vegas Boulevard, the Strip. And so one day, we were all hanging out, and my, my brother and, and some family were in town. and We said, hey, let's go down. They really want to see some of the sights. And so we load up the cars, and we head down. It was myself, some family, my brother, and his three-year-old little boy, Caleb. And we head down to Las Vegas Boulevard, and we start walking up and down the Strip. Before we do, my brother... Our brother stops, and he grabs Caleb, and he says, look at me. Here's the deal. Your one job is to stay right by my side. It's easy to get lost down here. Stay right by my side. And we started walking. You know, taking all the sights, right? You pass a big volcano that's erupting. You see a pyramid. You see the fountain. SpongeBob SquarePants comes walking right by us. You know what I mean? It's just insane all that there is to take in. And what ended up happening was Caleb got distracted by all that there was, and he started to drift from his dad. And I don't know if it was the lights, if it was the fog, it was all the entertainment, the LED screens, the billboards, the buildings. Whatever it was, it caught his attention and he started to drift. And he got distracted. And my brother looked up just in time and saw his little boy just inches from the curb of Las Vegas Boulevard and ran over and grabbed him and pulled him back and as soon as he did, a double-decker bus came flying by. And he looked at him and said, Son... Your only job is to stay right by my side where I can keep you safe. Don't be distracted. Stay here. And I, I feel like that's what's going on here with Martha. As Jesus is saying you're so distracted by everything else that you're drifting. The only way that you can truly find the thing that lasts forever, the thing that brings you safety, is when you stay by my side. Focus. You see, a lot of us are like Martha. Instead of stopping and, and seeing what's in front of us, we're distracted by everything else. For a lot of us, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. And you know the way that it is? Like, whatever work is for you, whether it's making yourself better, for financial gain, personal gain, whatever it is, whatever your work is that you do, most of us worship that. That's what we're taught to worship. That's what's most important. And play is right up there with it, right? We want to play hard. And then somewhere down around the bottom is our worship. We get distracted by what we think is most important when God is sitting here right in front of us. And Jesus is telling us, just like he told Martha, there's something better. There's something so much better. Stop letting everything else distract you and instead focus on me. Stop leaving my side. I know what's best for you and I have your best interest in mind. Be like Mary, who chose the better way to sit at Jesus' feet. And as we approach this time of year, it's our our natural bend to make resolutions, right? It's what we do. It feels like this is the moment where we should focus on us, what we think is best, what we want to accomplish. But could there be a better way? Last year, Nathan McDade, our Air campus pastor, placed a challenge before us to pick one word for 2015 a word that would sort of be the foundation of the year, that, that would point us towards God. And so we started this tradition last year of instead of doing the resolutions, instead of wrestling through all that, we'd figure ourselves out and place the focus on Jesus instead and what he wants to accomplish through us. And so we started this thing called One Word. And we're going to keep that tradition going this year. And so today we're going to pick a word for 2016. This idea kind of bubbled up from this book, called My One Word by this guy, Mike Ashcraft. And basically what he says is, you know, this, this one word can be something that, that's catalyzing for us as followers of Jesus. He says this about resolutions in his book. He says, Our resolutions seldom work because they're based on the type of person we're tired of being rather than who God wants us to become. Plus, resolutions can be broken, leaving no room for the process of growth. What if our hopes for the year... Instead, centered on who God wants us to become and the transformational process. You see, oftentimes, resolutions focus on what we think is best, and what we should be asking is what God thinks is best. I think this idea of one word, right? A word can be powerful. Think about all the meaning that can be in a word, what words have done. Words, they seal marriages, they craft nations. they create movement, they make us laugh. Words, they focus our attention. They make and break relationships. Words, their impact is long-lasting. And think about the power in a word. Take the word love. And love's a good word, and it is full of so much meaning, whether it's God's love or romantic love or friendship sort of love. Love is a powerful word. Think about the the phrase, I love you, how meaningful that is. Let's let's actually do this just so we can fully experience it. Turn to the person next to you and tell, tell them that you love them. And no, no, no. I want, I want like some mushiness. Like, I love you. Okay? I want you to mean it. I want you to mean it. It feels good, right? I love you. I know, I'll never forget the first time my wife and I exchanged that phrase, I love you. And you know, we had been dating for a while. We were standing on our parents' front porch, and we look at each other. I love you. I love you, too. And it was trajectory setting for our relationship because it means so much. How about the word... Hate. That's a powerful word too. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. But the word the word hate has a lot of meaning. It's powerful. A few weeks ago my son and I, we, we were, you know, hanging out late at night watching TV, and bedtime came, and, you know, when bedtime comes, a fight erupts. And it's 8.30, school the next day. We're only halfway through this episode of Ninja Turtles, and so he can't stop, right? And we get in this, this argument about it, and, I, and we kind of blow up. We lose our tempers. My son does this thing when he gets mad where he clenches his fist and he clenches his teeth. I don't know where he gets it from, but, you know, he, he just he bubbles up with emotion, and, and finally he storms up to his room. And I tell my wife, you know, I, I got it. I'm going to go up and talk to him. And I go up, I climb up into his loft bed, and I lay down next to him. And I say, son, son what's wrong? He looks at me, and he said, dad, I kind of feel like I might hate you. <laughs> All right? It's the nicest way that anybody has ever told me they hate me before. You know, he's just five years old, so I look at him. I say, son, do you even know what that word means? And he kind of shrugs his shoulders, like, yeah. So I start to unpack this word with him, and how full of meaning it is. And just a minute later, his eyes are now filled with tears and he leans over and gives him this big hug and says, Dad, I don't hate you. I love you. Because what we know is that words are powerful. They're full of meaning, right? They're, they're, they're pregnant with meaning. Let, let's play a little game to prove it, a little word association game. I'm going to say a word and what I want you to do is just kind of, you turn to the person next to so you, you can say it in your head, whatever you want to do, but what do you think of when you hear this word? You ready? Here's our first word. The word Refugee. That's a big word right now to us. There's a lot going on with that word. Maybe you think of Syria. Maybe you think of our safety. Maybe you think of their safety. Maybe you think of ISIS, corruption, war. That word is jam-packed, full of meaning. How about the word attack? A lot of us immediately think of Paris. We think of fear, battle, slander. Some of us think of sports. I coach a five-six. Uh, clinic for basketball, and we had our first game this week, and five-year-olds are clueless when it comes to the game. We're, we're on defense, right? And I'm out kind of coaching with them, and I, I look at the boys, and some, some some kid got the ball right in the paint, and I say, everybody attack the ball! And you know what? They attacked the ball and the kid, and they took it from them. They didn't just play defense. No, they attacked. You know, like, words can be so jam-packed with, with meaning. How about this one? Trump. Right? We're all thinking of a card game, I'm sure. You think of business, wealth, power, politics, the most amazing hair you've ever seen in your life. How about the Ravens? All right, yeah, you get excited about birds, right? Some of you are living in the past and you're thinking Super Bowl champs. I know some of you look at the season and you kind of think, like, disappointment, right? It hasn't been a great year. And some of you are like, hey, we beat the Steelers three times in 2015. It's been a great year. And it is three times, okay? You beat them once in January, too. Okay. (laughs) Words can be so, so powerful. One word can mean so much. They're packed with meaning. The the book of James talks about how our words shape our lives. How it tells the world who we are and what we're about. And Jesus tells us that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. What do your words say about who you are? What is your one word going to say about what God is doing in your hearts? And because words mean so much, one word opens us up to God's amazing ability to do so much more than we could have ever imagined. When we create these measurable, self-centered goals or resolutions, what we're doing is we're setting a bar at a place that we think we can get to. But when we choose one word, we're saying, God, you set the bar at a place that we can only get to with your help. Hear this, this is important. When we create these goals, When we create these measurable, specific things that we want to accomplish, we set the bar at a place that we think is achievable. But with one word, we're saying to God, we can't get there without your grace and your love and your help. It focuses us on Jesus. Think about it. Instead of saying you want to lose 10 pounds or go on a diet, maybe your word is discipline. And see how much more God might teach you beyond just the act of dieting. Instead of saying you want to get out of debt, maybe your word should be stewardship. And that way you can see how God might grow you in that entire process. Your one word, it gives God an open door, an invitation to do something amazing in your life. Something so much more than you would have expected. But it also does something very important. It makes us dependent on him to get there. There's power in a word, and so today we're going to figure out what our one word is. First, I think it's important that we kind of glance back to 2015. Right, those of you who were with us last year, this would be easy for you to kind of figure out what your word for 2015 was, because uh, maybe you, you participated in this, this adventure with us of choosing a word. But for others, maybe you know we've got to think about 2015 to really think of what our word is, because we weren't here for this. And so start to process that. What would your one word be for 2015? For some, maybe it's something that happened to us. I feel like the last few weeks in 2015 were tough weeks. I feel like so many people were in moments of despair and trial, hurt and pain. What would your word for 2015 be? Maybe it's broke. Maybe you lost a job. You had an investment go bad. Maybe the word is Pain. On December 23rd, Jeff Owens and I went and visited a young lady who was in a bad car accident that day. And that car accident, the injuries that she endured, she's going to have to live with forever. No matter how good 2015 was at that point, it's probably summed up by the word pain now. Maybe it's death. Someone close to you died, a, a friend, a parent, a brother, a sister. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe you got a diagnosis that you just can't, stomach you can't swallow Or maybe it's hurt a friend turned their back on you or on the flip side maybe you're grateful maybe someone helped you out when you needed it the most maybe healing maybe that sickness that you had you've now overcome by the grace of God or maybe it's freedom you trusted God with your finances to get out of debt and he did it for some 2015 was defined by something that happened to us but for others 2015 was defined by something we happened to do, right? You made a choice that defined your year. Maybe the word is unfaithful. A relationship is broken because of your unfaithfulness. Maybe it's addict. Your dependency on alcohol, drugs, porn, whatever it may be, got a hold of you and and drug you into a pit that you can't get out of. Maybe it's deceptive your line has gotten the best of you and you, you, you're trapped in this web that you feel like is impossible to remove. Or again, on the flip side, maybe it's love. Maybe you chose to love those who used to dis- dislike. Maybe it's recovery, right? You found recovery from the thing that you were once so addicted to that you didn't think you could get out of, but by the grace of God, He brought you out of it. Maybe it's restoration, that relationship that was once broken, God has now mended back together. Maybe it's the word new. And in the Bible, it tells us that when we come to know who Jesus is and we give our lives to Jesus, that we are a new creation. And friends, this is something for us to to get excited about and to celebrate because just like Jonah just did a few minutes ago, did you know in 2015, over 360 mountain people decided that they were going to give their lives to Christ and be new? That's exciting, right? That's something to celebrate. One word means so much. Words are powerful. They say a lot about us. They say a lot about our past. But they can also say a lot about our future. By choosing one word, we say, God, we trust you. Regardless of how you would define 2015, don't let 2016 be about changing the person that you were, but instead about focusing on the person of God that you can and will become. By choosing one word, we focus our efforts. Hear this, this is important. The normal pace of our lives won't likely lead us to a place of spiritual discipline or a place where we feel so much more spiritually mature, but instead, by choosing one word, we say we're going to be intentional instead about drawing close to God and finding peace in who He is, being one with Him and allowing Him to shape our lives. By choosing a word, we focus our efforts by focusing on God. By choosing a word, we actually choose worship. Jesus says this in, in John 15. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In the verses that follow, Jesus goes on to use that word remain seven more times. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. He's making a point. He's saying, let your one word be a catalyst of worship. Let it be something that draws you close to Jesus, brings you to his feet, not in the other room, distracted by everything else that's going on. Forget about the selfishness found in New Year's resolutions and instead focus on how Jesus might use your one word to shape this year around his purposes, around his plan, around his desire for your life. Remain in him and he says he will remain in you. That's good news. I asked some of my friends what what their one word was from last year from this project and their responses. uh, They were awesome. One said my my word was guide. Putting God at the center of my life and letting him guide it has been life-changing. From a mission trip to an internship at Mountain to going to a school that I'd never seen or been to before but feeling the guidance toward it, 2015 has been the year of letting God guide my life. Sam's word was guide and it was perfect for her because what God did is he set the bar way up here where she couldn't get to it without depending on him and by his help and his goodness and his grace she got there when the cards were stacked against her she looked to God and God said I'll do much more than you could ever have imagined now Sam is on this trajectory he told his full time ministry and I'm so excited for her Ashley said her word was trust making sure to always trust God no matter what the situation to trust God by going on a mission trip becoming independent that I could trust that everything back home would be okay and I would be okay going away from home. And can I just tell you how perfect this word was for Ashley? Because in a year where she received devastating and burdensome news about her father's health, the word trust is what is sustaining her. It's putting the focus on Jesus. It's setting the bar way up here. And she's saying, I can only reach it by the power and the goodness of Jesus Christ. The list continued. People said, seek, ignite, love, pray, discipline, freedom, invite. One word can shape and focus your year in a way that puts the finish line on God and his kingdom, on his purposes. That by pursuing your one word, you're saying, God, I want to pursue you. The aim of your one word is to get into some sort of focused posture and depend on Jesus. That's what it's about. Not asking him to come and act on your behalf because he already has. But instead by saying, God, let me focus my attention on who you are and where you'd have me go. In the book of Philippians, we see uh, the Apostle Paul talking, and he kind of talks about his life before Jesus in chapter 3, and then talks about it a little bit after he found out who Jesus was. And after he found out who Jesus was, he talks about all of his sacrifice, how important God is. He puts the focus on who God is, and he makes that known, and he says all this, but then he continues. In Philippians 3, he says, Not that I have already obtained all of this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forget the regrets of your past. Forget the hurt of your past, the pain of your past. Forget what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what your word is about. It's about seeing the finish line. Paul's not acting out of regret. He's acting out of vision. Vision for who Jesus is and the promises that Jesus holds. And he says, I want to be more like him and I want to understand him and one day I want to be with him. He's acting out of vision. That's what your one word is supposed to do. It's not about acting out of regret if so, we become unfocused. We become undisciplined. We look backwards. Instead, we want to act out a vision and move forward. Your one word. Set your eyes on the goal, the prize, being more like Jesus. So we need to stop and ask, what's the word? Ask yourself, what's your word going to be for 2016? I'm not sure that you'll figure it out here in the next couple of minutes. You know, maybe it'll take a couple of weeks. Maybe it'll take a couple of months. But what I do know is that if you ask, God will lead you to a word. Here's some suggestions. Maybe it's it's pause or faithful or patience or submit. Maybe it's the word grace. Those of you who feel like you've wronged God and and you're trapped in this, this, this pit of your sin and the things that you've done, you need to know and understand God's grace in 2016 and let him set the bar and pull you out of it. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's new. Maybe today is the day that you start new let just say, oh, that Jesus guy, I want to be like him. And so I'm going to be like Jonah and the 360 others. And I'm going to say, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to start new. And I'm going to be a new creation in Christ. And let me just invite you, if that's you today, after service, would you please come up and tell somebody? There will be some folks up here waiting for you. They would love to hear that. Maybe that's what your word will be for this year is new. Maybe it's believe or seek. When I was preparing for this message. I ran into a guy at Starbucks. We hadn't met before, so he comes over. Hey, Mountain, how are you? Like, hey, how are you? And we, we got to chatting, and it turns out his first time at Mountain was on the first of the year, a, a sermon much like this one, you know, the New Year's Resolution. And he said it's been a, a crazy couple years since, but he's seeking. And what I know is what the Bible tells us, when we seek God with all of our heart, we'll find him. All those words, so full of meaning, they can open doors for God to do much in us. My word for this year is presence. Being more intentional about my time with my family, my God, my friends, people, ministry. Being more present so that God might be able to use me more effectively. And As I've started to, to pray over this word, God's actually changed it a couple times, but I'm confident that this is it because he started to, to drop things in my lap that will help me to pursue this word in ways that only God could He dropped this study in my lap that my wife and I are going to do together that's going to help us be more present together but also with God. You know, I'm going to have more tea parties with my two-year-old little girl. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have more sword fights with my five-year-old watching Ninja Turtles. I'm going to put my phone away at dinner. I'm going to go on more dates with my wife. I'm going to spend more time invested in the Word of God and study and worship and prayer. And when you know your Word, find a verse to kind of frame it up for you. Mine is Psalm 1611. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. Allow God to give you a verse to sort of solidify what your word would be. You know what I'm excited about with my word? It's not what I've framed up so far that I'll do all these things, but what I'm excited about is in 2017 when I look back to see where God actually put the bar and how I got there because I can only do it by his help by being at a posture that says, Jesus, I trust you and I depend on you. One word can do a lot for us. And so we need to discover our word. I know what you're thinking, like, how can I do that? That's a lot of work. Let me, let me offer you two suggestions, okay? The first one is look in. Look at yourself now. Take a personal inventory of where you are. Find an accurate view of your life and then ask God where he wants you to be. This isn't just about seeing our regrets and overcoming them, but instead it's about seeing where we were and seeing who God wants us to be. Those are two different things, but they're both important, that we let God lead and guide. God wants this from you, and we could do this oftentimes by looking at the Word of God. James challenges us to use the Word of God as a mirror for our lives. He says anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who forgets what he looks like. Sorry, I lost my spot there. We're going to back up. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The best way to examine ourselves is to look into the word of God and let it be a mirror that reflects. Let God's word shape your word. Let God's Word show you where He wants you to be. Those are such important things for us to do. Let God's Word guide you as you look for your Word, and then look up, pray, ask God, look for God to speak to you. I feel like oftentimes something we don't do enough, right? To stop and invite the Holy Spirit in to speak to us. And we do that in a lot of ways. It might be through wise counsel. It might be through prayer. It might be through reading the scripture or reading books or through our friends. But God will show you and he will help you to determine what your word should be. Seek God and allow him to show you. And once you have it, you've got to do three things. Nathan talked about these last year. I want to recap them real quick as we, as we close up here. Keep your word in front of you. You know, Tape it to your dashboard, to your mirror. Make it your computer password. Make it the background on your phone. Write it on that big, clean calendar that's on your desk. Put it on your social media bio. Tweet it Facebook and Instagram at Periscope it, Snapchat it. Whatever it is that you do, do it with your word. Maybe you need to write it on the wall inside of your garage so every time your garage door opens and you pull in, you see your word just sitting there right in front of you. The first step is to not forget it. You need to see it. The second thing is to share it. Find some accountability in your life. Let me encourage you, if you're not in a small group, go get in a small group. Let those people know your word. Let them help you to discover your word. Find some accountability. The church is here to do that, to hold each other up. Galatians 6 says to carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The church is here to help each other, to love each other, to help each other become more like Jesus and to focus on Jesus. So share your word with somebody. See it, share it, and then live it. Put your word into action. As your one word is shaped by God, let God's word be lived through you. Take your eyes off the mistakes, the regrets, the failures, the gap between where you were and where you want to be. Instead, focus on the one thing that God wants to do through you this year. Don't be distracted by the things that you think are important when the creator of the universe is sitting there in your living room saying, come and just sit at my feet. In the book, um, My One Word, the author uses this phrase over and over again. He says, change is possible, but focus is required. And I believe that if you allow God to shape your word, if you allow him to identify, to articulate, define what your word is and what it means then what he'll do is he'll start to point your eyes towards the goal, toward the vision, towards the prize of heaven, to be more like Jesus, so we can too be a new creation. Change is possible, but focus on God is required. So what's your word going to be? I, I want to I close up doing something a little different than we normally do. right? I know oftentimes when we create New Year's resolutions, you know, we we say, Oh, we'll start it tomorrow, you know, like I'm gonna start the diet tomorrow because my pizza just got here. Whatever it is for you, you know, you're gonna do it tomorrow. I don't want that to be the case for us. I want us to start now by asking God, what's our one word gonna be? And so we're gonna take thirty seconds just to be quiet, to invite God in, to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to start to identify what that word might be that focuses us on Jesus in twenty sixteen. I know for some of you, maybe you're new to this prayer thing. This might be kind of awkward, but this is worship. This is what we do. So let me invite you just to seek God in this moment. And then I'll close this up. Take 30 seconds. God, hear our prayer. God, give us a word that's not about overcoming our regret, but instead a word that's about seeking your will for our lives, about seeking your goodness and your grace and seeing your love lived out through our love. God, give us a word that focuses us this year on you, that brings us to your feet. God, remove the distractions and instead. Help us to see the prize. To be more like you and to be with you. Jesus, we love you. Just let me pray. Amen.